If you would take your Bible and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the last chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians. I don't know how long we've been in 1 Corinthians. It has been a while, Um, but I've been enjoying it. Chapter 16, verse 1. One of my, I, I don't know if it's a pet peeve, it's an aversion, what it is, but I do not like to read the instructions on anything. How many of y'all can relate to that? All right, yeah. Okay, I was going to say it, but y'all did. She said, that's a guy thing. Most of those hands were men. There's just something about, I'd rather figure it out myself instead of reading the instruction book. Well, today we're going to go to the instruction book, the Word of God. See what God's Word has to say about the issue of giving. Giving by the book. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. The first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper or as he has prospered so that no collections be made when I come. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, a letter to a church that had been inquiring about an offering that was being taken up. These Galatian churches that Paul mentions are those those churches that he started first, the oldest of his church plants, of his church starts. And the Corinthians heard about that offering. And so Paul's giving them some instruction. The offering that I, I just love this was an offering taken up by Gentile churches to help the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Is that not cool? All, the, all along, the Jews were struggling with accepting Gentiles into their into their fold And God was working in the Gentile churches, putting on their heart to minister to the Jews. So this offering was being collected in the churches. And and Paul says to the church at Corinth, here's a plan for you to give to meet that need. And what I want to do this morning is take this passage and look at some principles that we have about our giving as believers. Four key principles. I have four this morning, right? At least your outline should have four. Do you have an outline? All right. Let's talk about these four. If we're going to be biblical, if we're going to give by the book, number one, biblical giving is planned. Biblical giving is planned. Some of you don't like that word. Otters aren't crazy about that word. That's that sanguine temperament personality that just likes to go with the flow and have fun. How many otters do we have in here? That's you. Okay, boy, some of the hands went right up right away. There are four temperaments, by the way. There's the otter. That's the fun way. There's the lion. That's do it my way. There's the golden retriever that says do it the easy way. And then there's the beaver that says let's do it the right way. (laughs) Guess which one I am. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the otter doesn't really like to plan. And I found that in the Christian life, there is this misunderstanding that when it comes to giving, we just let the spirit lead And do whatever feels good. Paul is giving instructions to the church here. He says on the first day of every week, each one is to put aside and save. There's a guideline there. In verse 1 he says, do this as I directed the churches of Galatia. I want you to do the same. Some people say, well, my giving is based on whenever I feel moved by the Spirit, that's when I'll give. Whenever I feel this motivation, when when God touches my heart. let Let me encourage you. That that is giving by emotion. Isn't it? 
You say, well, we can say it's a spirit leading, but, but ultimately there has to be this leading in my life. There's no planning to it. Now, I'm not saying don't give when the spirit prompts. We teach around here that pray and as God speaks, you respond in obedience to give. But as a general rule, Christians need to understand that giving needs to be planned. It needs to be something that, that consistently follows God's guidelines. Now, I really think the other word that would go there in number one is, is, is regular. Giving should be regular. It should, this plan should be a regular. This isn't your second point, by the way. That's just thrown in there, all right? Okay, the rest of you beavers, we're still on point number one. You otters could care less, right? You haven't even looked at the outline yet, have you, otters? See, he's saying, in essence, to the church, you give even if you don't feel like it. You give because it's the right thing to do. You plan giving once a week at the first day of the week. The Lord's Day, when we celebrate. This is Resurrection Day. By the way, we celebrated Easter Sunday recently. But really, every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is a resurrection. That's what we're celebrating. That's why we gather on the first day of the week. He says, set that aside. It's to be regular. See, there's a principle here that applies to giving. It also applies in the Christian life. It's that truth should guide our actions, not emotions. Do you hear that? Truth should guide my actions. Emotions should not guide my action. Well, I'll start being a good husband when I feel like I should be. Well, I'll start loving my wife when I feel like I should love her. Or the wife would say, I'll love him when, whatever, when I feel like it. The Bible just says we're commanded to do some of these things. By the way, I've learned that when I do the right thing, the emotion will follow. Have you discovered that? When I I know that I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to do the loving thing. I'm supposed to be gracious. I'm supposed to be a servant. And I know the Spirit of God's at work in all that, but sometimes I don't feel like it. Like the fellow that woke up one Sunday morning... And his mom was there and he said, I don't want to go to church today. She said, son, you need to go to church today. I don't, I don't want to go. Those people down there, they're mean to me. They say bad things about me. They don't like me down there. I don't want to go. She said, son, you need to go to church. I don't want to go. She said, son, you need to go. Besides, you're the pastor and they're expecting you. In our connection class this morning, one of our points in our study was be authentic and be transparent. I'm being transparent with you. There are some Sunday mornings where I'd just soon stay in bed. Okay? And it's because of some of you. No, no. <laughs> no sometimes you just don't feel like it. But I, I go, I come here, and God reminds me of why he's called me in the ministry when I get here. See, the enemy has a, a field day with us when we're by ourselves thinking about should we do it or not. Should I be faithful today? Ah, they won't miss you. You got that associate pastor. He'll preach for you. Just sleep in today. Yeah, try that. Give Andy a call about 9 o'clock Sunday morning and say, you got it. It's yours. Part of the Christian life is saying, Lord, I'm going I'm to be strategic about my obedience. And part of that is giving. Do I do it because God says I'm to do it in spite of how I feel? When I was a pretty new Christian, I'd just been saved a couple of years. I felt like God was calling me into the ministry. I shared this with our Wednesday night group recently. And, and so I was making these commitments of my life. I was changing my, 
the, the stuff I read and I was changing the, the music I listened to and I was just changing my whole value system in my life as God was calling me to get me to this point of where I am today. So as a brand new Christian, as I was dealing with all of those struggles in the midst of that, struggling with the call of God in my life, this little voice started whispering in my head, what are you doing? And, and I mean, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I did, you know, whisper, what are you doing? That, that stuff, that Christianity stuff, it's really not real. And I said, uh, but I just kept hearing this nagging sense of what I believed really wasn't truth. By the way, Kevin, why are you even worried about surrendering your life to Christ and being a preacher someday when you're not even saved yourself? That's what I started hearing. By the way, isn't it interesting how Satan will take truth and distort it? Here I am struggling with a call to ministry and the enemy is telling me I'm not saved. Why would he do that? Why would he throw those doubts? And I got so, I I really went into depression. I felt like God had abandoned me. I felt like he wasn't there. I felt like everything I had made this commitment to follow him was for naught. And someone told me, Kevin, that's the enemy. I didn't know it. They showed me where Peter said, be strong, be sober, be vigilant. Because your enemy, like a roaring lion, is waiting to devour you. They said, that's Satan. I didn't know that. I said, you need to get in the word. So I started going to passages of scripture that affirmed who I was in Christ. And I especially went to Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And I pointed it out. I, I rubbed a, a, a mark in my Bible from pointing at it. And I would stand in my apartment and I would say, I hope nobody's listening. But I would say, okay, Satan, listen to this one. And I would read out loud, for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I did that. And I don't feel like it today. I don't even feel like God's anywhere in this universe today. But the word of God says this is the truth in my life. And daily, through the day, I claim the truth of the word of God. And the truth eventually took over my emotions. Does that make sense? Because when I live by my emotion, I'm not going to feel like I'm going to heaven some days. I'm not going to feel like God's involved in my life. But the truth says he is. When it comes to giving, it needs to be planned. I need to say once a week, I'm going to make it my opportunity, my privilege, my plan to bring to the Lord what's his. Number two, biblical giving is personal. Biblical giving is personal. There's in verse 2, on the first day, there's that plan, there's that, that strategy. When you come to worship on the first day of every week, each one of you is to, to put aside that money. Each one of you. That's an individual, each one. It's personal. The Bible says every Christian should take responsibility for stewardship. And every Christian should take responsibility for the stewardship of their church. What would happen if everyone in this church gave like you do? Some of you are thinking, man, that'd be exciting. Wow. Others are thinking, ooh. We wouldn't have air conditioning today. Because we didn't pay the light bill. The Bible says it's a responsibility. For every person to be involved in stewardship. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All those who live in the earth. All those who dwell therein. 
the psalmist said. In other words, everything is God's and I'm a steward of it. If I'm a steward of the resources of God, it's a mandate for me to bring back to him as an individual whatever's needed for the ministry to be accomplished. Each one. It's a personal thing. A lot of people come into churches and they just kind of kind of hide out. You know, it's, it's hard to do in a small church, but as churches start to grow like ours is, you can kind of slip in and just sort of hide out. I don't have to give. I don't have to serve. I can just come and sit. And that's good. What kind of church would we have if everybody was like that? Personal. See, we've talked for years about the importance of individual testimonies and individual lives in the church. Our, our dream, our prayer for years now has been that we would be a praying church. And God is accomplishing that in our church. You know how God does that? He doesn't say, zap, you're a praying church. He starts to move in the hearts of individuals. This guy says, I'm going to pray more. This person says, I'm going to be committed to prayer. This other person says, I'm going to enter in a new level of my prayer life. This person says, I'm going to pray more. And you have individual, 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 individuals praying. You become a praying church. Our church is a giving church. You know how that happens? God didn't just snap his fingers and say, Coastal Oaks is a giving church. God has spoken to individuals in this church. And this person says, I'm going to give. Not just what's required, not just what's needed, but I'm going to give as God speaks to me over and above. A giving church. Heard a testimony this morning about one of our ladies who's, who's planning a retreat and she had a couple of hundred dollar bills stashed away for that, that weekend away. You know, ladies, how you do? A little bit of spending money, eat out money, that stuff for a little retreat. Well, at the same time, another need came up, a real need in the family. Actually, because part of that family is going on a mission trip. And they needed money for passports. And so she's praying about God to provide for the passports. And it's like God says, what have you been holding on to for your retreat? And so she said, oh, yeah. Um, that's mine. <laughs> but after struggle, she said, okay, Lord, I, that, that money's there. You've provided the money for those passports. The very next day, the family got a call of selling the vehicle. Somebody wanted to buy a vehicle they'd been trying to sell. And her testimony was, if I hadn't been obedient and given God what was, or given to, to meet that need with what I thought was mine, that probably would never have happened. I'd have missed the blessing. That's what I said. You would have missed the blessing if you hadn't been obedient. Now, I tell that story because that story is multiplied over and over and over and over and over and over and over in this church. People saying, God, I've acknowledged that what I have really isn't mine. It's yours and I'll do with it whatever you want me to. It became a personal issue. That's how you have a giving church. That's why we are seeing what God's been doing in the journey. That's why we're in this building debt free. Because that story is repeated over and over and over. The individuals make up the congregation. See, when it comes down to giving, when it comes down to stewardship, each one of you should have a part. It's personal. Say, Pastor, preach it to all those others. Let them have it. Hold on. Number three, biblical giving is proportionate. Biblical giving is proportionate. Look at verse two again. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. 
The Amplified Bible says, as he has prospered in proportion to what he has been given. Other translations say, set aside money in proportion to the money that you've earned. See, there's this this concept, this principle that my giving should be proportionate. Now, the Bible teaches about the tithe, 10%. And I've said for years that that 10% is the bare minimum for every Christian. That's the starting point. Now, hold on, because there are a lot of folks who say, Pastor, I love it when you preach about tithing, because everybody ought to tithe. If everybody tithed like I tithed, we'd meet all the needs, and that's true. But hold on to your seat, tithers. (laughs) See, because the tithe is the floor where we should start, not the ceiling where we should stop. Some people have said, well, I've been given 10% of my income ever since I got saved and I'm being obedient. Yeah, to the Old Testament bare minimum. Did Jesus not take the Old Testament and increase what's required of a believer? See, the Old Testament says do not murder. Yet you're angry with your neighbor. You're guilty of murder. The Old Testament says do not commit adultery. Yet you've lusted and you've been guilty of the same thing. The Old Testament says 10% is required, but you're a believer. Move beyond that. Do you understand this? Not many amens. There you go. I'm taking notes. Whoever said that? Someone said the Old Testament bases it on that 10% percentage. The New Testament giving can be based on a proportion of how God has blessed See, here's what happens. As God blesses, then my proportion of what I give him should increase. Let me challenge you, 10% tithers. Move on. I was praying about this this morning, about this one truth. And my prayer, almost weekly, is God raise up some new tithers in our church. Raise up some new people who've never given 10% of their income. Raise them up. So that we'll be able to meet all the needs we have here. By the way, if everyone did that 10% bare minimum, we'd have more than enough money to do ministry. We'd be meeting and praying about how do we spend it all. So I've been praying that prayer, God, raise up more. But it's, God kind of impressed me this morning. Could it be that God is speaking to those people, but they're not responding? What God really wants to do is for some of us that have been hanging on to that 10% to move past it. And to quit giving in a legalistic way. Here's my 10%. Say, God, I'm going to move back. I'm going to move beyond that percentage of my income and move to a proportion of how you've blessed me. Some of you have gotten in that rut. 10%, 10%, 10%. You know what a rut is? It's a grave with both ends knocked out. Maybe it's time to climb out of the tithing rut. Someone said, God blesses us financially, not so we can raise our standard of living. But maybe he's blessed you financially so you could raise your standard of giving. Do you ever think about that? Man, if I just could get a raise, I could get this next car, this bigger item or that whatever. And what God's saying is you've got everything you need. The Bible says he provides all our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God, I have everything I need. If you send me more, it could be God that you want me to give it. I challenge you to give proportionately. To give according to how God has blessed you. To move beyond that floor of 10%. Number four. 
Could it get any quieter? (laughs) Biblical giving is purposeful. Biblical giving is purposeful. Kind of goes with the planned part, but it's a little more to it than that. In verse 1, where he says, this is what I've directed the churches in Galatia to do. This is what I have set in, in motion, this strategy of taking up this collection for the needs that are there. There's a purpose in it. The purpose for this offering was to meet the needs of the church in Jerusalem. The purpose of our offerings... And our giving and our tithing, the purpose of that is to meet the needs of the church here and as we go beyond the four walls of Coastal Oaks. Not just to reach ourselves, but our community, our state, and our nation. See, our mission statement is to lead people to love God, to connect with others, and to reach our world. That's why we give. And that principle applies, that there's a purpose in my giving. It is not all about me. It's not just to pay the light bills and to pay the pastor and to pay the staff and to pay the ministry expenses. It's about investing in eternity. Do you see that? I share the story in my 101 class every time. Every time I do 101. By the way, 101 is my information class for people interested in becoming a part of Coastal Oaks or just knowing more about us. So we we met yesterday morning for about three hours and the time flew by because the teaching was so anointed and blessed. (laughs) yeah we had a good time but one of the stories i tell in that one-on-one class about giving is about a church i was in and we were remodeling the worship center and we had these old brown ugly ceiling fans in there that had been there for 20 years and it was time for them to come down so we finally agreed to take them down and i thought that's what everybody wanted but it wasn't some people were pretty upset that we were taking down the ceiling fans we got a phone call in the church office Secretary said, Pastor, it's Sister So-and-so. The names have been left out to protect the guilty. And she wants her ceiling fan. And I said, what? She wants her ceiling fan. I said, what ceiling fan? The ceiling fan that we put in there. And they explained to me that 20 years before, they said, we need ceiling fans, so everybody donate. $50 to buy a ceiling fan. So she gave her $50, I guess, for her ceiling fan. And when we took it down, she wanted it back. See, that's giving with strings attached. That's not really giving, is it? That's not investing in eternity. That's doing something so I can have my name on it or whatever. There may have been a plaque on that. I'm not sure. I didn't check that one out. By the way, that's one of the reasons why I I resist when people say, why don't we take up an offering let everybody buy a chair? We could have that, and I'm thinking, oh, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, my chair. You're sitting in my chair. That's already bad enough with some of us. But when I invest in eternity, I don't worry about those little details. I just say, God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to trust the leadership of this church, and I'm going to give to you, because the purpose is not just to do this stuff. To have a chair, to have a building. The purpose is for the kingdom to be advanced. See, when you invest in eternity, man, the rewards are eternal. See, if you invest in the stock market, and some of us have done that, when the market crashes, and it has done that, there goes our investment, right? That's painful, isn't it? I don't even open those statements anymore about my retirement stuff. It's too depressing. 
But if, I've, if that's all I've invested in, when the market goes down, it's lost. Just wait till the market goes back up. Yeah, right. It's lost. But if I invest in eternity, it doesn't matter what happens to the stock market. It doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what happens to our nation or our church. When I invest in eternity, it lasts for eternity. When I was a kid, we used to play Monopoly. We've even played it as I was an adult. Not my favorite game, but I will do it. By the way, they've got a new Monopoly out with credit cards, I think, and debit cards. But when I was a kid, you played with that paper money. And when the game was over, no matter who won, it was usually the person with all the hotels that got real greedy and, you know, I'm not bitter, but that always happened to me. Goodness. I mean, I'd have this stack, all these stacks of money, and there I land. And they'd pull out the little card, and I'd just start handing them my money. So I usually didn't win. But when it was all over, if I had won, all the money goes back in the box. And the game's over, and real life starts. When the game's over, you put the money back in the box, you close the box, and you go on with real life. One of these days, the game's going to be over for us. And we're going to close the lid on that box we call a casket. And this life's going to be over. And let me tell you, folks, everything you have right now is going to be gone. Somebody else will have it. And only what you've invested in the kingdom of God for eternity is going to last. Because when they close the lid, that's when real life starts. Let's pray together.